<laughs> nice crisp, clean. Nice crisp, clap. Clean. Just like Ooh. what I got for uh, snack time today. Oh, I got a little <laughs> snack time. It's a little underwhelming. You can there's a sneak peek if you can hear the rustling of the package. Oh, I don't have any package things, and you'll see why in a bit. But we'll uh, we'll figure that f- out when it comes to it. Um, but I, I will say that it might come sooner than later. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Welcome to the Pod Charles Cinecast. Presented by the Personal Cinema. This is your host, Jonathan Foster, and I'm here today with a boy who had a dream of sounding like a king. <laughs> <laughs> and now the dream is reality. <laughs> it is Phil. Uh, hey. Um, yeah, I sound amazing right now. Um <laughs> I'm just joking. I feel like an old boxing announcer with this <laughs> very lovely microphone. Um, new microphone. Yeah. Sounding nice and clear and crisp. Yeah. It's going to be interesting when we're editing and seeing what that sounds like on the other side. Yeah, this might but. be worse. This just makes me <laughs> feel better. Make me feel more professional. Yeah. It sounds good, though. Yeah. Good, yeah. This is going to help with the Star Wars episode yeah. as because well, it looked like that thing. Luke oh, yeah, the... Luke fighting is, with the blindfold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that won't be we distracting at all. Go back and redo the first Star Wars film again. No, please don't. Yeah, this is uh, Phil sounding a little <laughs> bit more upgraded. This is what this is what your Patreon. If you're a Patreon backer, this is what this is what we're doing. We are upgrading with a nice new microphone on Phil's side, so we're all sounding crystal clear. Hopefully, now for you guys. But you know, if if we don't. And if you don't care, then whatever. It's cool. That's, that, that's <laughs> your fault either way. <laughs> but thank, I mean, thank you to everyone who signed up for Patreon and give give the, give back a little bit. It's nice. Yeah. Um, you know, we'd be doing this for free anyway. And we, we have been for a long time. <laughs> yeah. um, but I like that people seem to enjoy the show enough that they want to support. It just means a lot. It just I, I like it. Every time you tell me... Or, uh, or like someone else signed up or you read me a, a message or it, it makes me feel good yeah because really usually good. it just feels like we're talking into the void <laughs> yeah definitely yeah. yeah so thanks to all the patreon you know backers and then just anyone who isn't a patreon backer who just happens to message us or or even say anything like in the emails like i sometimes will see someone say something nice about all oh, thanks for the podcast and stuff when they're just mm-hmm. emailing in to the hello at prince charles cinema thing to like get it you know to do a contest or to yeah to give an answer for a question that we asked so it's like you know it's really really cool just to hear people say that so if you're one of those people as well that you don't interact with us too much on our social medias or anything thanks for that it's cool mm-hmm. thanks for listening it's been awesome i mean it's been a tough week for us uh, the last week for many people for the whole world um Mm -hmm. it's a weird it's a weird time uh last week we were trying to be a little bit more transparent about things and you know trying to support causes and stuff and just stand up for what's what we think is right and obviously that's not always what everyone (laughs) everybody wants yeah is right but you know whatever they do the same thing so movie not political john (laughs) keep that shit out of my (laughs) ears Like I feel like ninety nine percent of films are very political, and then there's the room, (laughs) (laughs) and then there's the room. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, who's it versus? 
I mean, even Tommy probably was politically charged to like make that fucking movie. Yeah, I would so. argue that plenty of politics in the room. It's very anti-drug and alcohol and yeah. you know, pro-marriage. Yeah. <laughs> Probably pro-life. I don't know. <laughs> cocaine powder come off his nose. Don't do drugs, Danny. Exactly. Just enjoy yourself, you know? If a lot of people yeah. love each other, the world would be a better place to live. Okay, next question. <laughs> well, Phil, how have you been getting on the last week? What have you been up to? Uh Fucking nothing, man. Um, <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, just every time everyone has the same answer when I'm like messaging people. It's always like, just doing my best, just doing my best under lockdown, right? Because I'm, I feel like I'm, I was all right the first couple months, and now I thought we were sort of coming to the end of things, and doesn't look like that. And it's just I'm sort of crashing, and things are a little bit more difficult. But yeah, the usual trying to keep myself busy, you know. Reading, writing, uh, playing, yeah, watching fucking sad movies because of you. So <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, I've been all right. How about you? Yeah, man, kind of the same. Like I said, a minute ago, it's been a, it was a funny, tough week. So cinema wise, mm. I just kind of shut down this week. Uh, the yeah. whole the whole cinema crew pretty much did. I mean, we were trying to be as good as we could about not being too quiet so you know sharing some things when we could but at the same time it's like it's tough and you know it's important time to just kind of listen as well and we don't feel comfortable like out there shouting about like you know what's your favorite movie exactly you know you're just like people are dying (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i mean it was good to kind of like turn off a bit and I need to do that more anyway. And I think that's something kind of like we've been discussing, which is good because like just being able to turn off that side of work and social media and stuff and just it's so bad right now. Like just mm-hmm. it's not a very healthy place to be mentally. So it was good to kind of like this week kind of tune out a little bit. I finally just pushed myself on friday this past friday to like release that ep manifest destiny manifest destiny so that's yeah. out there some new music i got my copy yeah, it's great thanks for that man no it's cool yeah. i love it um so yeah i mean a part of that was just to like kind of help out because Bandcamp every first friday of the month during the whole COVID sort of thing to support artists does like zero revenue like taken from artists and because most of the time they take some pennies they take a there. cut yeah yeah and uh which can suck because sometimes I'll have people buy something from me and I get nothing because Bandcamp's taken a whole five pounds from me. <laughs> you all want money. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it sucks. So it was it was good. Those Bandcamp revenue free days or whatever are great and uh, they're really helpful. And I just decided like, fuck it. I'm just going to release this and just put all whatever I get towards donations to like richmond virginia's bell fund to help out i have a few friends there who are out protesting and stuff that was great you raked a bunch of money man yeah it was really good it was like over 130 some pounds or whatever which is awesome so um i want to thank everyone who did that i know a few listeners did because i saw those come in so for you guys who did that that's awesome thanks so much Mm. for doing that and helping out um we're also hoping out like a local charity in my neighborhood so that was good as well because i walked by it all the time and I know what it is, but I just never like think much about it. I'm just like, hey, this is a good thing to be happening in my local area, the Stephen Lawrence uh, Charitable Trust. So 
um, yeah, it just helps out young kids who are coming from disadvantaged backgrounds, helping them out to find what they want to do in their life and help them, you know, get ahead and, you know, it's good. Exactly. I like that's it. Where, that's where it should be going. That's yeah. where I should, all the money should be going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you want to listen to that, I'm not doing the donation thing right now because I'm like literally no money is coming into my account when people buy at times now. So, I mean, if you want to buy, it's very little coming, but maybe I'll do another donation thing like in a couple of weeks when there's another free Friday thing, but you can go to Bandcamp, tallforall.bandcamp.com and it'll be up there. Manifest Destiny, new EP. If you want to hear any music, it sounds, I don't know, sort of like our theme song. <laughs> uh, I love the theme. No. Uh, so that's what I always kind of say. Cause I don't know how to describe my music, but yeah, I mean, it's good. This, this week we're kind of having a chill one. Um, you know, I just think like before it gets too late and before I forget, we can get into a little bit of snack time. Snack time. Quarantine. Quarantine. It's snack time. Quarantine. Quarantine. It's snack time. Lockdown. Oh, no segue. <laughs> no segue. What do you yeah. have, Phil? I mean, I have some leftover tortilla chip. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. Like, That's uh, what it is. I didn't. I almost, you know, I couldn't think of anything to get for in terms of the theme of the film. Yeah. Um, and these were just in the cupboard. So this is what I'm having. But they're really good. That new microphone, man, it's killing it. You can hear. This is ASMR right here. It's orgasmic, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the people want. Just snacks. Just snacks. <laughs> this is the cheap brand. It's like 50p. Nice. I've never heard of that. Oh, it's really good. Just yeah. snacks. No, Just I mean, snacks. tortilla chips. It's hard to go wrong, really. Exactly. I don't have any dip because I've eaten all the dip. Yeah. And why there's only like crumb left <laughs> that I've built on the rug. What about you? What are you hiding from me? Well, is there a can of beer? Is, I wish. Oh my God, I wish. Because you're, you're rocking the Bud Light and I was like, oh, that'd yeah. be really funny. Well, Budweiser. I, think I, I only got Coors Light right now um that's an idea but i've got ritz crackers and you said that there was no segue but here's the segue i thought of the philadelphia <laughs> philadelphia cheese you bought it yeah yeah i wanted to get out early because i just have like philadelphia sitting here and like on a cracker like, i don't think there's now. no point in the movie where you can be like Oh yeah. <laughs> now it sounds like a good fact. time to eat a cracker, right? Yeah, now. exactly. How about just before or just after? <laughs> that segue was because <laughs> we're talking about Philadelphia. Highline Incorporated is now represented by Wyant, Wheeler, Hellman, Tetlow, and Brown, and more specifically, Andrew Beckett. Yes! Bravo! Sincerely appreciate your faith in my abilities. Mr. Beckett! <laughs> How are you? What happened to your face? I have AIDS. Oh. I'm seeking representation. You want to sue Wyatt, Wheeler, Hellman, Tetlow, and Brown? I was diagnosed with AIDS eight months ago during a bout with pneumonia. What was that in your forehead, pal? Uh, Andy, everyone in this room is your friend. I misplaced an important complaint. That's their story. We've been talking it over. Your future, that is. And we feel that because we respect you so much, we must be honest with you. Excuse me. 
Am I being fired? Would you accept a client if you were constantly thinking, I don't want this person to touch me. I have a case. I don't want him to even breathe on me. You don't want it for personal reasons. Thank you, that's correct, I don't. That's very disappointing. Sir, wouldn't you be more comfortable in a research room? No. Would it make you more comfortable? Beckett, how you doing? Counselor. Did you find a lawyer? There's going to be things said at the trial that are going to be hard for you to hear. I want to know everything about his personal life. What deviant groups did he secretly belong to? I didn't raise my kids to sit in the back of the bus. Is Andrew Beckett the kind of lawyer who misplaces crucial documents? An excellent lawyer. Andrew Beckett is dying. You were impressed with Andrew Beckett's work. Andrew Beckett is angry. What powerful force has caused him to change his mind? And he wants someone to pay. TriStar Pictures presents... The law's been broken. I just want what is fair, what is right. You remember the law, don't you? A Jonathan Demme picture. So let's talk about what this case is really all about. Did you fire Andrew Beckett because he had AIDS? The general public's hatred, our loathing, our fear. In this courtroom, Mr. Miller, justice is blind to matters of sexual orientation. We don't live in this courtroom, no, do we? Tom Hanks. I love the law. Denzel Washington. Are you gay? Objection! In a story about our lives. Oh, Mom, today's a good day. Our fears. Andy brought AIDS into our offices. And our humanity. I hate this case. Philadelphia. How many lawyers you go to before you call me? Nine. When young Philadelphia lawyer Andrew Beckett, who is infected with AIDS, keeps his homosexuality and illness hidden from his employers, he is suddenly dismissed from his prestigious law firm. Beckett then hires rival and homophobic lawyer Joe Miller to represent him for a wrongful dismissal suit. Counselor? (laughs) This is the uh, 1993 legal drama film from the late great director Jonathan Demme who we've mentioned quite a few times as a late on the podcast, which is pretty much the reason why I think we decided to just do this episode this week. It felt very natural, yeah. yeah. He just kept coming up, and it's a beautiful film, and it's, yeah. uh, I think it's very relevant right now. Yep, definitely. Um, it is Pride Month. We are aware that we are jumping into Pride Month, and uh, I will say that I'm not going to say that we're doing this specifically because it's Pride Month. It's not because... I'll get it. I'll get into it. I, 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 it's questionable if this is, you know, a good pride film anyway. And we do have a good pride film episode coming up in the next couple of weeks. So we'll get to that when it comes. As this film, I feel like, sort of does, it dips its toe into the pride waters. And that's essentially <laughs> kind of what we're doing. That's like this what week. we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. We're just dip it. It's too cold to go for a swim. Yeah. So we're just dipping our toe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Jonathan Demi also directed Silence of the Lambs, Something Wild, which we talked about a couple of times the last couple of weeks with Ray Liotta. It's amazing. Go watch it. And the incredible Talking Heads concert film, Stop Making Sense. I know a lot of people love that. And. Jonathan Demme did Neil Young's trilogy of concert films. Nice. So, and that would come up later. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Very much so. Yeah, goddamn. 
<laughs> so Philadelphia, it's notable because it's the first major Hollywood motion picture to cover the topic of AIDS. So the story goes that Jonathan Demme and writer Ron Nyswiner, I'm going to have to say his name a lot. So if I'm saying it wrong, I'm apologizing ahead of time. But you know, how, listener, this, you know how this goes on this podcast. I say yeah. everyone's name wrong. But, anyway. <laughs> but we try. God damn it. Yeah. But they had wanted to work on a film about AIDS because Jonathan Demme's friend, Juan Botas, who is an illustrator and who's a really good friend of Jonathan Demme's wife, had contracted the disease. And I think Nice Wanner also had someone close to him who had the virus. Um, it was very topical at the time. You know, this is the early 90s. Um, and it seemed like everyone knew someone who had AIDS in Hollywood and New York and all that. So it felt like it was something they needed to do. The film was also part inspired by the true stories of Philadelphia lawyer Clarence B. Kane, who was fired from his firm after they discovered his illness, and of Jeffrey Bowers, a young lawyer with AIDS who was fired from his firm in 1987, resulting in one of the first AIDS discrimination cases when Bowers successfully sued his firm in a six-year-long battle. Jesus Christ, yeah. Now... Normally, I save controversy <laughs> to to the ends, you know, like when we we're, here. <laughs> we're wrapping up. But yeah. this is it's just an interesting film altogether. Yeah, and it turned out like when I was doing some research for it, it wasn't as easy to go to certain sources that I normally go to, where there's a plethora of like a timeline of where things were. So this made me have to go look at some of those sources, but then have to find interviews. Like a lot more interviews with like Jonathan Demi and uh, Ron Nicewater. So it was interesting to kind of like do this episode. It took a while to kind of piece little bits and pieces together. So the controversy is that as the family of Bowers who passed away in 87, they, they sued writers and producers for taking their son's story and making it into the film. So producer Scott Rudin had interviewed the family like a year after Bauer's death in 1988. And he promised to compensate them uh, for its use, like all these interviews and his story in a film. Mm-hmm. And they, when they saw the film, they claimed that like 54 scenes in the film were so similar to the life of Bauer's that they could have only been taken from the interviews. So <laughs> he just told that story. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. So yeah. the defense, however, stated that Scott Rudin, who was not the producer of this film, had sold the idea to Orion Pictures, which was obtained by TriStar Pictures because Orion was going through a bankruptcy trial and everything. Mm -hmm. So Rudin left the picture and he said that he didn't share any details of the interviews and also Orion and uh, TriStar both said that they didn't have any details. So it's really muddy. Like, I don't really know. (laughs) Yeah. Like, if... Who's who's right? Who's telling the truth or whatever? Were they um, ever compensated, or did they win the suit? Well, what happened was like Rudin. So he may have actually brought in the writer Ron Nicewanner, who previously worked with Rudin on other films, but he left when Jonathan Demi came on board because Demi prefers to produce with his partner Ed Saxon, who is mm-hmm. the actual producer on the film with De- Demi. And the case was settled five days after testimony, but the details were never released on the settlement. So 
I'm sure they, I don't know, maybe they just quietly paid him off. I, I think that's fair enough. I think yeah. even with people coming and going, that the clear link between that story and the movie story and yeah. it's more than fair to compensate. I didn't even know it was based off a true story until this watch, until rewatching it for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I was just completely yeah surprised. I didn't even know about the suit and everything. Yeah, so it it was pretty interesting though because like uh, I think quite a few people who were involved in the film or had HIV or AIDS who also might have been involved in the film were kind of upset with Bauer's family because they felt like they were being greedy or something because they won a big case, you know, Bauer's family and everything. And I don't know, it's really weird. The whole thing with the rights and stuff, apparently no one ever signed anything. It's a bit sort of a gray area. Like you said, nobody signed anything and no... you don't know if he did promise any money. And then you also like, is that really the point? Um, the whole yeah. point is to share the story and the, the movement. Yeah, definitely. That was sort of like the idea behind it. a lot of the people who were upset with the Bowers family, because they were just like, Oh, they're like putting your son's story out there. And I understand if they were, you know, told they would be compensated and stuff for using his life story, then like, fair enough. Yeah. But at the same time, it was like, it was really weird when I was looking to it. Like, apparently, the his partner who would have mirrored like Antonio Banderas in this film. Oh, he great in this movie. Yeah, yeah, he is. He like he he would the have partner. been the one who was supposed to have the rights, but mm-hmm. he died shortly after because he also actually had uh, AIDS. Contracted it, yeah. So he died pretty soon after. So no one actually there was no like links to anything. It's it's weird. Anyway, well, that's good to get out the way. <laughs> If anybody yeah. was waiting for that bit. <laughs> <laughs> but the film also came in an interesting time because people were pretty upset when they claimed that Science of the Lambs with the character of Buffalo Bill pandered to the stereotype that gay people were the boogeyman. So some <sighs> people think that Jonathan Demme made Philadelphia in response to this, but he claims that he was already working on it. It just happened to work out. Yeah. When he found that out, he was really happy that he was making this film because he felt like he could make amends in that way. That's nice. I've never seen, I've never read yeah. Silence of the Lamp like that, but I can understand that. Cause obviously that's a horrible Hollywood trope and stereotype that is yeah. still kind of there. Yeah, definitely. In, I don't know. Jonathan Demme's it's funny. Like hopefully they didn't really rip off this whole story and everything. And it, like, I do believe that maybe they did have good intentions to make this story with the fact that they were trying to, you know, present a story about AIDS because he had a f- very close friend to him who had AIDS and he was just really wanting to see how far he could push things into like public's perception and everything. Mm-hmm. So I can like go ahead and get into the cast because this kind of like fits into that a little bit. Um, so obviously we have Tom Hanks who played Andrew Beckett. Tom Hanks. <laughs> Hilarious <laughs> and everything, especially this. <laughs> yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis originally was up for the role and he turned it down. Really? And yeah, and wow. uh, Hanks apparently had pursued the role really, really hard because he was primarily known for comedies and stuff. And he had previously yeah. failed to shake that stigma with uh, Brian De Palma. Yeah. Brian De Palma. Fucking here he comes. Uh, here he comes. <laughs> yeah. But the bonfire of the vanities, which was like Tom Hanks' first sort of foray into like not so much comedy and more to a drama and stuff. And uh, the bonfire of the vanities flopped. So. Yeah. Yeah. Because Philadelphia yeah. always to me, like the beginning 
of his yeah, Germanic definitely. turn. He he would have obviously a string of wonderful like dramatic performances in the nineties, like you know Saving Private Ryan and Castaway and yeah. Um, but yeah, this is one of the best. I I read something like very interesting how they were comparing it to. Uh, Matthew McConaughey's McConaughey's yeah. or whatever, like because this was like the film that was like the Hanks's aunt. Yeah, you know, people like, like holy shit, Tom Hanks. <laughs> yeah, because I mean he'd have been like a big star on TV, and and then also he was doing all those films in the eighties, or all the comedy films, yeah. and then the rom coms. So this was his first chance to show his dramatic abilities. That's exactly who you want. Yeah. It's great casting. It's someone you're coming in the audience already know and like Tom Hanks. So if they're yeah. coming in with pre-established prejudices then mm-hmm. they have automatically they have to start challenging them because this is yep. someone they've related to on screen before and now they're having to try and do it again yeah and that's that's exactly what it was because after seeing how society had treated his friend Juan Botas, Jonathan Demi really wanted to push that film to the straight audience to mm-hmm. maybe even people who were homophobic or saw homosexuality as a sin or morally wrong yeah and he wanted to let them know it was okay to watch a, a movie about gay people and to help clear up stigmas about AIDS and HIV. So casting Tom Hanks was like really helpful in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Tom Hanks, he had to lose like around 30 pounds for the role. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen that number fluctuate from anywhere from like 26 to almost 36. So it's, it's 30 to 40 pounds. Lost a lot of weight. And uh, this was made particularly difficult by his co-star, Denzel Washington. <laughs> Why? <laughs> who played Joe Miller because he was asked to gain a bit of weight for the film and he was just eating candy bars and, on, on set in front of Tom Hanks all yeah. the time. <laughs> Dude, I love, like, I love Denzel anyway. It's one of my favorites, mm-hmm. but he's so good in this and it's such a, uh, it's a tough role to play. He has yeah, he has to be so unlikable and such an arsehole, and he goes through the biggest dark right, and it's also steeped in other layers of prejudice and racism. Him being obviously like a black man in Philadelphia, but yeah. he's this shitty con man, and he he has to embody every negative sort of stereotype, even to the point of like. You know, when he first meets, not meet, but you know, when they first have the meeting with uh, Andy and Andy wants him to take his case and he tells him he had AIDS and he just like, he then he, the camera keeps going to like everything he touched and he like yeah. backed away from him. Again, like a big like social distancing thing yeah, happening definitely. in this movie and you're like, you don't, yeah. it's like, what the fuck are you doing? He, he's a person and you, you know, that's not how it works, but that's what people thought back then and they really go yeah. into it. But he's great, yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, they had him as this like ambulance chaser, basically. Exactly, like, handing cards to people. Yeah. yeah, the guy on TV, Very, the TV guy. Yeah, 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 you're that guy on TV. You're that TV guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, if you grew up in, I mean, you could be in any town, really, but like, particularly in America, it's such an American thing. Like when you're, it doesn't matter where you're at, you know, a lawyer or some some slimy person who puts himself on TV all the time just to sell shite. Yeah, exactly. And they, from your local hometown or something, you're just like, oh yeah, you're that guy. Yeah, like a better call soul type of guy. Yeah. Like no no win, no fee, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. And they'll take any case. Where were you from again originally? Like in, were you born in London? Like born and raised in, in London? London yeah. Yeah. So was there anyone from your area of London or whatever who was like the local celeb that was just kind of like an eye roller? <laughs> 
I mean, it's harder in London because London's huge. No, 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 like, no, not really. Um, yeah, I can't. I can't think of it. Anything? No, no. I wish I could. That <laughs> that's funny. Did you have any? Can you? Yeah. All right. So, do you know the you know the show Survivor, right? Of course. Like, yeah, yeah. So, from my hometown, and this is kind of funny because this is a good way to shoehorn any sort of ref- wrestling reference. Uh, like do it's it. the only way for this. Uh, is for my hometown. There's uh, this guy by the name of Johnny Fairplay, who <laughs> went on the Survivor basically, and he got that name because he basically was just like um, lying a lot. Apparently, he and I remember this. He was from my hometown. He went on Survivor and told everyone that his grandmother had died, and he was really, really upset, and he got immunity. Um, that week and everything and then oh it turned God. out he was lying about the whole thing wow what a sex shit <laughs> and he like got into wrestling and stuff and it was so weird like he was wrestling like doing shit with tna and all these in- independent bullshit things and he became this sort of like i don't know quasi celebrity but <laughs> that's funny so funny he was like he would come to like the theater i used to work at and stuff and like i had literally like just fives and tens and ones in my in my cash box and he would give me like a hundred dollar bill and i'm just like stop dude no one cares <laughs> like i don't have enough change to give you like could you please just give me something smaller it's a three dollar ticket that's funny <laughs> well my first my first job was at a wh smith and yeah. it was in notting hill which is a fairly like posh area and i remember working with a guy who was great because he was just so like complacent and so overworking there and he would just tell me stories about uh, celebrities coming in, and yeah. they would range from like, uh, it'd be like you know Lenny Henry used to come in all the time, and then get mad if people didn't recognize him. <laughs> he sort of yeah. went in, not buying anything, just kind of wanting to be recognized. And then there's people. He said Kira Knightley came in once, and um, she was wearing like huge like goggle sunglasses and like a big Panama hat. And then just like, you know, trying to cover her face like with cards and books and stuff. And the guy was just like, if you don't want to be recognized, why are you wearing that big fuck off hat? <laughs> um, that's the closest thing I have. <laughs> yeah. So if you're not familiar with Philadelphia, I mean, like <laughs> what Denzel Washington is. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. Denzel no, Washington. He, okay. He's pretty... He's a pretty funny character. Um, yeah. So originally, Jonathan Demi wanted to cast a comedic actor to counterbalance Tom Hanks because they just basically thought that, like, we have Tom Hanks. He's he's the nice, lovely guy that people are, you know, familiar with. They can come in with a little bit more of an open mind about this really tough story about AIDS and all that. Sure. And we'll counterbalance it with a very funny guy to kind of help people oh this is fun this is like this can be fun Mm -hmm. gay people can be fun like (laughs) which is crazy it's so weird it's so weird like thinking and this is what i kind of meant earlier like i'm not sure if this is a pride film yeah exactly it's just like oh <laughs> my god the fact that they had to have these conversations it's ridiculous and yeah. it gets worse uh but notably robin williams and bill murray were just discussed to play this role uh tim robbins apparently turned down the role and mel gibson was also considered so there was a lot of interesting people and it was meant to be a white italian guy i think at first but no. Denzel Washington was on a plane with, uh, I think, 
someone who was working with TriStar maybe, and he had asked what the guy had, and he told him it was the Philadelphia script, and Denzel Washington got his hands on it, and he was very interested in the Joe Miller character. And uh, when Jonathan Demme found out about it, he had ar- he had already been really wanting to work with Denzel Washington, so he was pretty chuffed about it. And he was just like, "Well, I had envisioned like having someone you know pretty funny for this role, just so that we can you know try to ease in because it's going to be a tough role." And he was just like, "Whoa, you know, I'm, I happen to be kind of funny, so he can be funny. He's really <laughs> funny in the yeah. movie." So uh, I thought this was kind of funny. Did you notice what Joe Miller's daughter's name was in the film? His baby daughter. Yeah, it's um, it named after his sister. I yeah. remember that line. Not it, yeah. not Eloise, something like that. No, it's Clarice. Clarice. You know what? Which it was, sounded like Clarice, and I was like, "No, it's it definitely not Clarice." Yeah, your next film after Silence of the Lambs. Let's uh, let's have another <laughs> character named Clarice. I just really wanted like Tom Hanks to just come up and say. Hello, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See? We can have fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get it? It's like the other movie about hero killers. <laughs> uh, so, homophobia with Joe Miller's character. So, yeah, he's, uh, he does have this arc in the film, and he obviously does, you know, seem to kind of grow. Of course, yeah. And, you know, maybe little by little and i it's it's one of those weird things where because like he flip-flops a bit and i think that's pretty natural for like i've seen i know people like that like i knew people like that back home like i seen that shit with my eyes like how people behave like that and i know it's a human sort of reaction to probably flip-flop when you're morally like you know at battle with what you believe versus like what you're seeing before your eyes and stuff. Mm. And, uh, and it's, and it's know, changing and it's in public. Like he named yeah. in private. I feel like he, there, his fears or whatever his beliefs are there. Yeah. But the more he's working with Andy, like just from that moment in library, you know, where he passed over the book, that's the beginning mm-hmm. and he grabbed it. And that's the beginning of him getting over it. But then you still have a few scenes in public where he yeah. will really like, like almost act in a way to make sure everybody knows that he's still fucking homophobe. Like that yeah, bit in the yeah. bar and like when that bit uh, where the guy hit on him in the, in the drugstore. Yeah. Um, but he just almost, but that scene is weird because he's almost annoyed. He's offended by the guy and then he's sort of angry with himself almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think by the end he come to a really good place. It, it, it ends on a very sweet note. At the very least, between him and Andy, I really like yeah. how their story ends. From like no touching to the way they're able to touch at the end is quite profound. Yeah, definitely. And it's ni- it's nice to see, and uh, like I think that gives you hope that there is like possible possibilities for people like that to change, and that's very relevant of what we're going through right now with the whole black lives movement cool. there is possibilities for people to change and you know you know i think that it was sort of like it felt relevant to talk about this in a, in the weirdest way possible i don't even know how to like even you know word it word it really phil and i were trying to figure out what we wanted to do this week and yeah. it was just like coming on to this was just like interesting because this this film has a lot to there's a lot of protesting in it there's a lot of court cases there's yeah you're right so i mean it's very 
heavy. I don't know. Things like civil rights and gay rights and all that have just it's crazy that it still goes on. It's ridiculous. Like this is the nineties and it's now dated then and where yeah. this is like twenty years later. Yeah. And you're right. Like with all the protesting and stuff, it did feel sort of mirrored um a lot of what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. And I thought it could just simply because it's a movie about empathy. And that's exactly yeah. what um we're sort of missing now. And yeah, you're right. It it does give you hope for characters like uh, Miller, like Joe Miller in the movie, because even he explained quite well what everybody else thinks outside, how people have yeah. been raised. The mm-hmm. teachings are entrenched in people. And that doesn't make them true, but that is what you're fighting against. But that doesn't mean you can't fight them and break through them and get people to change, and you should normalize that. I think that's, yeah. I think that's the problem with things now because people, for some reason, who are offended by the protest or what statute coming down or what happened there, you know, they feel like they have to make it about themselves and feel like their liberties are being violated when it's not about them. It's about these people wanting equality and that's exactly what they deserve. But yeah. they should be comfortable. We should normalize the idea of challenging your own racist beliefs when they come up and fighting them and getting over them and becoming a better person for them. And yeah, but there's some there's a thing there where people refuse to change, and I think that the movie he you know Denzel wouldn't have changed if this doesn't happen, right? He's thrown mm-hmm. into this case, and you're not even sure why he doesn't. It. There's a, obviously a very a decent person inside of him wanting to help, and then he sort of sees himself in Andy with like the guy asking him to move, and you're like, you kind of get it. That they're, they're it's the same fight, you know, whether. Yeah. It's, um, here it's you know a gay man who you know obviously is fired under f- false pretenses, and you have a black man who obviously historically same thing is yeah. um, marginalized by society, and they sort of come together. I thought it was pretty amazing when we turned it on because I watched this actually before you and I agreed that we were going to do this this week. I just happened to watch it, and um, there's that moment like where. It, the film, I think it's the very beginning, really, like after the whole Streets of Philadelphia intro. And there's like this door or whatever that opens up where it closes and it just says, No justice, no peace. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, it it's the elevator. Yeah. Yeah. The elevator door. Exactly. I remember I was watching a Dusty and Dusty was like, Holy shit. Like, that's yeah. what you're seeing everywhere. Just nothing. <laughs> nothing really changes, I guess. Exactly. I love the opening of the movie. Yeah. Could they just real, like, shot of. Philadelphia that people looking mm-hmm. at the camera and like you know sort of interacting with it and you get a real feel for the city this movie strangely enough it's like the best version of patriotism it's the kind mm. of thing I like that's like because the city is a backdrop but it's symbolic in terms of the justice they're looking for you know they're in the city of brotherly love they're in the city yeah. where the founding fathers you know signed the constitution and that uh, one of the first commonalities you see is that they wear the same hat. It's, they wear the same Philly hat. Yeah. Denzel yeah, and yeah. Andy. And it's just like, you're all the same. You're all the same fucking mm. people. You're all from Philly. Like if you're going to make it that broad, like you like the same team. And I yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's always going to be something you can find where you have something in common with someone. Mm. Like, And like, you know, I love Philadelphia. I lived there for a year. So really? it was like, yeah, you, I lived there for a year. I moved, 
moved from my hometown like on a whim basically because I was working for a grocery chain and I went up to work in Pittsburgh for like a couple weeks to help out and I realized that they there was need for help because they were opening up a new chain of grocery stores up there and mm-hmm. and I was like uh, I don't really want to live in Pittsburgh but I'll see if Philly's got anything and Philly did and I applied and I got the job so I moved up there and I didn't know anyone but it was like a good city a really good city and this film like really did like sell philadelphia it's just this like it's a very interesting city did um, you run the rocky club yeah i did good i did that's um, cool the statue's not up on there no but, they've uh, moved it a bunch of times i don't know where yeah, it is anymore statues, it's around the corner from the steps now kind of hidden from sight it's always like covered by tourists and stuff that's like <laughs> that's like a bucket list thing for me yeah yeah no yeah that was one of the first things i did actually though was go find the rocky steps and the statue that's cool <laughs> but there's no fucking you know tom hanks and dead Nell statue <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so all right this is where there's some tough stuff that comes in particularly with denzel washington so when i was doing the, my inter- like reading through these interviews and stuff i kept seeing rumors about this this thing in an interview where oh, no, uh, with Ryan <laughs> Nicewater. Um, and then I saw it again, pop up in the a 1994 Rolling Stone interview with uh, Jonathan Demi. So in Nicewater's interview, they didn't name any names. The person who was asking the question just was sort of like, Oh, well, you know, I heard that one of the big stars might've said this or been this way. Was there any homophobia on set? And Nicewater was like, nah, nah. And he didn't say any names or anything. He was like, he was like, no, like we had a really open set and it was sort of like, if there was anything like that going on, we would have shut it down. Like, you know, we were trying to be really open. Everyone was accepted and it was really good. But then in Jonathan Demme's 1994 Rolling Stone interview, right after the film came out, there was some questions about Denzel Washington. No, don't do it to me. So apparently Will Smith had called Denzel Washington when he was doing this film called six degrees of separation, where he was playing like a gay con artist and the role called for him to kiss a man. And apparently Denzel Washington told him, don't be kissing no man. And apparently he was kind of telling people to not do gay roles because it would harm their careers. Um, Apparently Will Smith sort of heeded this advice and he was really upset that in like retrospect that he had never like really pushed himself because he to do that ruin yeah. his career. So he did the role, but he just like, I think he wouldn't do a proper kissing on screen because mm. he uh, wasn't comfortable with it. So like Washington was kind of like, Oh, if you're not comfortable with it, like you shouldn't do it, but though, just don't be kissing. no man. That, yeah, that was a quote. That's kind of shitty. And I was looking into it and it seemed like there was a lot of articles on it. It's really weird. It's something that kind of gets like pushed under the rug or whatever. I don't know how to feel about it. I mean, Jonathan Demi sort of was defending him and saying that Washington was concerned, I think about the climate of the time and like I could how see audience will perceive actors ex- and stuff. Exactly. I'm more taking it from, yeah, ex- exactly that. Like how, yeah, audience perceive things like that. Could that, yeah, that would obviously problematic at the time for black actors, especially. That's the, mm-hmm. I can see him being more defensive as well. Um, but yeah, no, it's kind of shitty. It kind yeah. of, you always want to be on the right side of history and be pushing stuff like that. But I mean, he's in Philadelphia in this movie. Yeah. And he also can't be that homophobic. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know. It's weird because you can do things and you can say things, but you can still believe. I don't know. It's weird. Mm. He, I mean, he does like donate apparently to like a really big AIDS charity and stuff. But I mean, I'll get into that in a little bit. I mean, but AIDS is a big problem within the African-American community and the gay community and everything in, in America anyway. So again, it's one of those things that dispro- yeah. disproportionately affects those communities. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. I don't know. But uh, I, I just, I had to bring it up because it's, it was a weird thing. I don't really know how I feel about it, but it's hopefully Denzel Washington is a better person. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah. All right, let's move on. There's Antonio Banderas. We mentioned him earlier. He played Miguel. It was Banderas's first mainstream Hollywood role. He had done mm. like the Mambo Kings, I think the year before. He had pretty bad English back then, and apparently he was still learning his scripts phonetically. So. Oh, man. His English is really great in this movie. You yeah. can't tell. Uh, he was a bit of a heartthrob, it seemed. And even in, you know, it was a bit of a joke, and uh, I'll get to it a little bit, little bit later, but, you know, Tom Hanks, you know, Secret Out won an Oscar for this. And he even joked about that sort of during his, his uh, acceptance speech. Apparently, Ryan Ron Nicewaner like joked that he had like a crush on Antonio Banderas. How so can you like not his, though? Have you seen yeah, the he's, movie? <laughs> he's like yeah. really young and sweet and like yeah. hair all floppy and shit. <laughs> yeah, so Ryan Ron Nicewaner, the writer, was actually he actually is openly gay and mm. stuff. So it was kind of I think him kind of joking around and stuff. But mm. Antonio Antonio Banderas apparently had done roles where he'd kiss men and he had been, you know, in gay, gay roles in Spain and stuff when he was working with like a motivar and stuff. Mm-hmm. So like he was no stranger to it. And he thought it was actually kind of weird that any of the American actors would find it strange to do it. Exactly. And I, I, so, they don't, they never kiss in the movie. They do, but do it's they? like, yeah, it's very, I'll get to that. I mean, I, mean, I, I very, remember noticing it and being like, I don't feel like it. Um, yeah, it coming. wasn't really this nice, passionate kiss or anything. Like they didn't really feel like a couple. <laughs> exactly. Well, I felt like they were intimate enough, and I you could see, um, uh, mm-hmm. like the love there. Yeah. Regardless. Um. But yeah, I mean, uh, Antonio Banderas is still doing that. This movie made me really want to rewatch Pain and Glory. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Who, yeah. Like, if anyone hadn't seen it, it's amazing. But obviously, it's uh, it's Antonio Banderas again with Almodovar, and it's just great. Some yeah. similar themes. Was that sort of like a, a motivar's like sort of life in a way? Like yeah, uh, it's very autobiographical. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of like reflecting on lost love and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And his movie yeah. career, great, so great. Yeah. yeah. Well, we also have Jason Robards, two-time Oscar winner, uh, who played Charles Wheeler, the uh, head of Wheeler and Wheeler, the law firm that he's right mean bastard in this film. Robards apparently was really keen to do the role due to the subject matter. It seems like he was, there was just a big push from Hollywood altogether to get this, like a film like this made. That's nice. You know, that's nice to hear. I thought they would be fighting it the whole time. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole thing was that there was like a lot of films out there where it was just like all straight men, like about straight men and stuff. And, you know, they were just like, this is a film about a, a gay man who has AIDS, it's something that needs to be talked about. And frankly, it was probably like maybe five years too late, you know, like to a lot of, especially to people in the LGBT community, because it was just, you know, 
a bit too late. This is '93, right? Where like, yeah, like way past and, the peak of the crisis. Yeah, so many people had died, and you know, mm-hmm. something needed needed to be done. Just as an education tool, you know. Yeah, definitely. Nice Wonder said he walked over to give a handshake to Mr. Robards on set, and he just said, "Mr. Robards, thank you for being our movie." And he said to me, "Ron, I'd have been here if it was just to say one line." So that's really, really sweet. That's like, really sweet. He was like a two-time Oscar winner and like back-to-back Oscars. Um, and I'll get to that in a second as well because someone else did that. Um, <laughs> at, <laughs> but at one point, James Woods was considered for the role. But it's all good though because really James Wood yeah. gets to be an evil bastard for the rest of his life in real life. Yeah, now, exactly. So. <laughs> Great. <laughs> but that would have worked like that era of James Wood yeah, where like definitely. casino era where he was like actually pretty good but yeah now it would have been really left a bad taste watching them yeah movie. watching it's like oh but now you're like oh shit that's the guy from Magnolia <laughs> <laughs> yeah so Wheeler's crew featured people like Ron Walter who had actually been suffering from AIDS at the time Ron Walter was a guy, uh, God, I can't remember his name right now, but he, he played the guy who basically admitted that he knew that. Yeah, yeah, the or younger suspected guy. That Andy, yeah, that mm. he suspected that Andy had AIDS. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was actually suffering from AIDS at the time in real life. And uh, Jonathan Demme had to convince TriStar to hire him because they weren't willing to do it due to insurance not covering him. And Demi was adamant. And he was like, you can't make a film like this and not hire this man for that reason. You know, literally so, really, about, yeah, that's literally what the movie's about. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's like the protest against police brutality yeah. and then the police using like, like military force against them. It's like, it's yeah. just ridiculous. Well, here's another cameo here. There was uh, Mr. Laird who was brought in. He wasn't really a part of their crew, but he was brought in as a witness to some of the conversations that were happening inside the sauna who had a really horrible joke about women, but it was, oh, uh, God, yeah. Mr. Roger Corman. Yeah, of course. And I saw his name pop up on the, cause it had been a few years since I'd seen it. Um, and I saw his name pop up on, on the credits. And I was like, Roger Corman. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't notice yeah. like straight away either. But yeah. Jonathan Demi was another mentee. To the legendary Roger Corman, so that comes up a lot in this podcast. It's uh, <laughs> it's either uh, Brian De Palma just somehow entering his way into a podcast, or it's hey, whoever we're talking about was a mentee of Roger Corman. <laughs> I mean, same with um, yeah, like I just mentioned uh, uh, Jason Robot in, in uh, Magnolia, and obviously Paul Thomas Anderson is like you know a huge fan of Demi. Like mm-hmm. reshot the ending of Phantom Thread because um, when Demi died, sort of like rethought the whole movie. Um, but you know, obviously used Jason Robard and Magnolia, and he'd also used. Um, I'm just looking him up. I get name right. He played one of the other uh, guys on the board at the law firm, uh, Robert Ridge- Ridgely. Um, yeah, uh, who was he? He's in Boogie Night. He's like the chief, the guy who ends up in yeah. jail. Yeah, he was also like in um, the. You remember, you know the the what was the tell of Dirk Diggler or whatever it is the the precursor the to Boogie Nights, the yeah. short that Paul Thomas Anderson did. The Dirk Diggler story. Actually, yeah, the Dirk Diggler story. Yeah, he was he was in that as well. So that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. So I just like seeing all these all sort of movie. overlapping uh, mm-hmm. actors and stuff. Like, yeah, all these people work with the yeah. 
themed lots of uh, to our filmmaking and stuff. Yeah. Well, we have uh, Wheeler and Wheeler's council. Like their main head council was Mary Steenbergen, who I absolutely love. Mary Steenbergen, like she's uh, obviously like she's Ted Danson's wife, so she's amazing in Curb Your Enthusiasm. She's great. She's yeah. Great in Elf is the mother. Back in to Elf. the Future. Back to the Future, yeah. yeah, part three. Step Brothers. And Step Brothers. So, yeah, she's great. I love her. Mm-hmm. But um, What's Eating Gilbert Grape? <laughs> I, I've never seen it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, she struggled uh, and had to skip her first day of shooting as she wasn't emotionally ready because she also, at the time, like I said, this is a theme that's coming up a lot with some of these people who are involved in this film, had a friend who was dying of AIDS at the time. And it was just like a tough subject and... And it's a there's tough role. Moment, yeah. yeah, there's that moment where her character says that she hates this case. Yeah, she's like, I fucking hate this like, case. I hate yeah. this case. Yeah. And that's just like a wow. Like, that. it's like, oh. Like, because you could just see what she's doing, like having to go up and, you know, show him that mirror. Oh, it's awful. And, and, he has, and she's also sat there and she has to vilify him and his life and demonize yeah. him and everyone like him. And it's horrible. Like uh, when they get that other lady um, who's also suffering from AIDS who worked at the other law firm um, to try and draw a comparison. Mm -hmm. And he's like, but, you know, you got it through a transfusion, so different. And then she, like, goes out of her way to say, I am no different than anyone living with this this need. And most of just like, that's enough, that's enough for now. Yeah, yeah. They're just trying to, like, make him look bad because and reckless because he is gay and awful it's, it's horrible but, but i watch it and i'm like i watch a lot of true crime stuff and like courtroom mm-hmm. dramas i'm like i could totally imagining imagine this working on a jury so it's almost a surprise at the end that they turn over uh like a guilty verdict towards yeah. the law firm yeah definitely that whole thing with her saying the case like she hates this case that was improvised actually in the moment because when she expressed her hate towards the role after doing that mirror scene <laughs> jonathan demi incorporate like encouraged her to incorporate it into the role so yeah you know the woman would seem more human it gives yeah. it another layer because now you you start looking at her not as this shitty racist lawyer but just as someone mm-hmm. doing their job and sometimes yeah. the job gets dirty which again can very easily be translated into what's going on right now. Exactly. And the more I think about that and the more I think about the whole term a cab, it makes so much sense, (laughs) you know, like it's something that makes you feel so uncomfortable sometimes to be like, Oh, well, you know, not all cops are bastards, but you know, it's like, that's not the point. Not the point. (laughs) And you're, you're doing a job that's not helping anyone and like you're causing more harm. Been good right now. Exactly. Yeah. Some jobs can't have bad apples. Yeah. So other people who are in, in the film, some other people are Oba Babatunde. I absolutely love Oba Babatunde. He is Steenbergen's co-counsel. He's great. He does not get nearly enough that in this thing film, you do. which sucks. <laughs> yeah, that thing you do. Definitely. <laughs> Life. Life. Um, Goddamn. But yeah, great he movie. doesn't get to do much in this film, and that kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. So I do wish he was able to do more. You also have Bradley Whitford, who's a bit of a name these days, but yeah, he's uh he plays Jamie Collins. He's the guy who like couldn't find the case file that ended up getting Andrew fired. Um, yeah, yeah. And then he found it at the last minute. Of course he did. Um, oh yeah, the guy from like <laughs> Get Out and uh well I always think Billy Madison. 
Yeah, Billy Madison's the first thing that pops in my head. But yeah, exactly. recent years, Get Out is the father. Yeah. But Demi also casted around 53 extras who had HIV or AIDS for the film. Action Wellness is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people in Philadelphia area deal with the chronic illness. They helped the filmmakers with this. And unfortunately, at the end of 94, 43 of those people had died. And then now 25, a little over 25 years later, there's only one person from that group of extras still alive today. And it's so sad. That's kind of tiring. Yeah. Um, I was trying when I was watching it with Dusty. I was trying to remember. I couldn't find it, but I remember seeing uh, an interview with Tom Hanks once. Uh, I I want to say it was on the Actors Studio, something like that, because they're going through his career and they show mm. they're talking about Philadelphia and they're showing footage and it's like the party scene. And they cut back to Tom Hanks and he's crying because he's like those all those guys were like my friends and they're right there. They're still there in the movie, but they're all gone now. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, I remember that really, I obviously still stayed with me. Um, but yeah, must make it that much harder for someone like him to watch. But you're yeah, thinking definitely. it obviously when you're watching the movie as well. Yeah. Well, we'll get into the party scene in just a second, but like, as I get into that, I want to talk a little bit about the music of the film. Great soundtrack. Yeah, the original score was done by Howard Shore, who previously worked with Demi on Silence of the Lambs. And he's most famously known for scoring a film you just mentioned, Tom Hanks' is That Thing You Do. No, I'm just joking. Uh, but he did do that. Uh, he, he's most famously known for doing the Lord of the Rings films. So those classic, Great soundtrack, classic yeah. soundtracks from Lord of the Rings, that's Howard Shore. But the film is mostly known for its soundtrack. The uh, the music in the film it's bookended by oh Bruce Springsteen's "Streets of Philadelphia." Great film to open the film, and then Neil Young's "Philadelphia" at the close of the film, which uh, that actually features actual footage of Tom Hanks as a child. Um, you know what just fuck you John for making me watch <laughs> this movie I'd only seen it once before and I quickly yeah. realized why because it gets to that bit and I want to cry thinking about it and I just I turn into a mess honestly it's so distressing and emotionally devastating yeah. that ending and not in a shitty manipulative way like most Hollywood movies are it's so earnest and wonderful but yeah there's just slow like move into that footage of him and the kid and that fucking song play <laughs> the fucking new york neil young song and it's yeah. just unbearable it just make me cry i mean yeah. i literally it was like I, the credits were rolling and I, we let the credit just roll and i was still yeah. crying through it i'm just like yeah oh. we did we did the same thing actually messed me up we man just like, uh, but yeah i mean streets of philadelphia is a lovely lovely song it's a lovely song I've come around to it over the recent years of becoming more of a boss fan. I was never a big boss fan. I was always like a really big into Neil Young. So Philadelphia was always my favorite mm-hmm. between Philadelphia and Streets of Philadelphia. Yeah. And oh God, it's one of the most beautiful songs like ever, mm-hmm. I think. And it's funny because I used to know it before I saw this film. Like I just knew it was this beautiful song. And then like I saw the film and I was like, you know, and, 
like this is weird because I was already heavy into Neil Young at the time and I just never really like noticed it was Neil Young because it's not your traditional sounding Neil Young song. I would forget, yeah. Just the way the piano is playing, it's not even like his normal way of playing piano. It's just like this really beautiful like ballad. Yeah, I fucking love that Mm. song. It's so good. This is from the Rolling Stone interview where Jonathan Demi was talking about the music. He said, I thought, let's reassure people. Let's get these guys who, if anything, are identified with testosterone machismo kind of thing. Like, hey, if Bruce and Neil are part of this of this party, it's going to be something for the unconverted. I thought what we need is the most up-to-the-minute guitar-dominated American rock anthem about injustice to start this movie off. Who can do that? Neil Young can do that. Yeah. So we edited a title sequence to Southern Man to help him uh, see how his music could power the images we were working with. And he said, I'll try. Six weeks later, hi, it's Neil. I'm sending a tape. So in comes the song. And we're crying the first time we heard it. And I went, oh my God, Neil Young trusts the movie more than I do. Isn't that pathetic? (laughs) But now we're back to square one because even as I'm going... He trusts the movie more than I. I still don't trust it because I'm going to call Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> so the same exact dialogue goes on. So we still need this kick-ass beginning. Then one day the tape shows up. And again, it's not the guitar anthem I appealed for. Springsteen, like Neil Young, trusted the idea of the movie much more than I was trusting it. And that's how Streets of Philadelphia mm-hmm. became the song to open the film. That's a great song to open the movie with. And you're right. That's yeah. so... Those artists singing those kinds of songs encapsul- encapsulates everything that movie is trying to say. That's a, um, a, that's a really lovely uh, story. I hadn't heard yeah. that. That's really <laughs> yeah. nice. I'm glad, I'm glad they did, honestly, make the movie yeah. so much better. And they're both songs that have stuck with me since watching it however many years ago. Like, I was just way too young. It's one of those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a good, it's a good movie to watch when you're young because it affects you more and it stays with you. And you'll ne- you never forget that. If if that's your way in about learning things, learning about the issue, then that's all good. Then the movie did its yeah. job. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it's like, it's just funny how, like, Neil Young and, you know, Bruce Springsteen are just like teaching them even like to not worry so much. And I'll get into that a little bit more because it comes up. It's like, and I understand it was a weird time. It's the early nineties and it's still today. Like we were saying not so long ago that there's still issues with people about things when it concerns like, you know, not just the civil rights stuff like we were talking about a minute ago, but like just gay rights and stuff. Like the people still struggle with that and feel uncomfortable about talking about it or dealing with it or seeing it or and it shouldn't be that way. And uh, like, I'll get into it a bit more a little later. But I mean, you know, like it's it's funny that they had they they made Jonathan Demi realize that like they had like had more faith in what was going on <laughs> in the movie, and he needed to have more faith as well. Exactly. Uh, a little bit more with music though. There's Q Lazarus, whose music's been featured in many Jonathan Demi films, and is best known for the song "Goodbye Horses," banger, which <laughs> is featured in Silence of the Lambs and, and later parodied in many films and TV shows, including Clerks Two. Mm. Uh, I realized when I was looking this up about Q Lazarus because in the film there's the dance scene. Like I said, I'll come back to the party when they're dancing and stuff. Yeah. 
there's a person singing, there's a live band, and they're doing a cover of Talking Heads Heaven. Yeah. And I that. uh, that's Q Lazarus. And I was like, oh, cool. Goodbye, horses. Yeah, I love that song. And when I was looking into it a little bit more, I realized that Jonathan Demi actually discovered Q Lazarus. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> apparently, he had heard, he, he might have heard her tape in a taxi cab when, she, when he was in New York or something. And, you know, I, or something like that. It was really weird. Like, and he ended up getting in touch with her and he like took her, convinced her to kind of go out to LA and tried to become, you know, a musician and stuff. And she had a hard time because like no one was buying into it. And she like, she was like, well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm who I am. I'm a strong black woman with, you know, cool hair and cool clothes. And I like to sing over rock songs, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so yeah, it's pretty interesting. That's cool. And also, right after the party scene, uh, well, f- first, I forgot to write this down, but this kept coming up. The You know, like, at the party scene, uh, oh God, fucking Joe Miller, Denzel's character, just wears the I'm, dumbest. I'm a lost, I'm a, dude. I'm a Get lost, it. dude. <laughs> and it's like, it's, like <laughs> it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> dumbest costume. But then, uh, of course, it's famous because Andy and Miguel are wearing the sailor suits, like the the Navy sailors outfits. And um, a lot of people think that that was a politically charged sort of statement or whatever because of the whole like don't ask, don't tell thing was kind of happening in America. I thought it was a joke because the previous scene in the courtroom and talking about the Navy. I, to be honest, I don't know, but like the thing that was kind of coming up was that people thought it was political because of the don't ask, don't tell thing going on in America okay. and about how like, you know, gay people in the armed forces and stuff. Mm-hmm. But apparently Jonathan Demi was like, no, it was just because they, you know, we could have had them in drag and stuff, but they're really ele- an elegant couple and I wanted them to like dress really elegant and they looked so stunning inside of the the outfits and then later that became this really funny thing because the don't ask don't tell thing was kind of happening and it just kind of blew off of that like Mm -hmm. and the whole sailor sort of thing became a bit of a like uh, an image for the time and stuff of course yeah yeah it was really interesting but soon after that scene everyone goes home everyone goes (sighs) oh god here we go <laughs> and we talked about the scene the other day, the other, like a couple weeks ago, when we were talking about monologues because it's one of my favorites. It's like I may cry, I may cry on this yeah. podcast. I'm getting yeah, really so close. <laughs> there's the song La, La Mama Morta, sung by Maria Callas, in the transitional opera scene, and that's like I feel like the most iconic scene in the film. It's, the, it's, it's the best scene in the film. It's, it's the moment where the transition just happens for Denzel's character with no words. Like, yeah no words at all He's, and you want to know something else they didn't like discuss how they wanted to do that scene or anything and there was no discussion with tom hanks between demi so demi like apparently is a really big actor director they really li- like most actors really like working with him he's really good at communication and stuff but they did not discuss the scene at all mm. him and tom hanks nor him and denzel nor tom hanks and denzel they just kind of went with it and that's the first take that's in the film. No fucking way. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I have so much to say about that opera scene. It's like, it, it, yeah, the film's most iconic movie, um, scene. It's one of my favorite scenes ever. It's so beautiful. 
um, within the context of the film, it summed up everything. Like you said, it's the moment of change for Dan now, and, and he's just watching. He doesn't say a fucking word. Um, and the lighting slowly changes to reflect that, the fire in the background of yeah, his shot. God. And like he shrouded in darkness, and then it revealed slowly. And the camera looking down, like... Um, at Tom Hanks, like yeah, and he, he's almost like looking up. Exactly, it's like God looking down at an angel, and like it's beautiful. And then the red light, and he's just almost overwhelmed by the music and the power of it, and the song. It's absolutely perfect. Again, because you're like everyone, it probably like didn't know, I didn't know or care for opera, but he gives you everything you need to emotionally engage in that song and what yeah. he's saying and it's exactly what he's going through in the movie with you know the line things like you know I bring sorrow to everyone who loved me and then that like crescendo where he's just sort of chanting like I am life like yeah. I am life and it's just oh dude it's, yeah. just, it's just so good I can't do it justice really yeah it's this whole thing of him like coming to grips and everything with like his own mortality it's acceptance he, yeah it was, this acceptance of him like like this is me i'm i'm dying i'm going to die soon and yeah like oh god the whole thing when like denzel just like as he like walks out like because he's just like completely shaken to his core he's like giddy almost he's like high on life and he almost goes back yeah he's like i gotta you know i yeah i gotta go you're you're fine because they were supposed to be going over the case yeah yeah you're ready his you're ready, yeah. Like, because he was supposed to be doing his uh, um, testimony the next day, and and he was just like, oh, yeah, you're 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 ready." And he leaves, and he goes back. And he's about to go to the door because he just probably just like God, like he's. I feel terrible for him, and like, and then he just goes home and immediately like just kissed you know, the baby and hugged the wife, and just like yeah, oh, it's just like, <laughs> and you see again the look. Okay, like. You're saying Demi and like the actor director, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. Demi and the master of close-up. Yeah, and yeah. I was going to bring up the close-ups. They're magnificent. They're magnificent, and that's one of them. Um, when he comes home, and he like spooned and wife, and the camera slowly um, moving in on his face, and it it's like a realization. It goes from sort of the joy to a sadness to like, mm-hmm. and there's just so many of those where like. There's a bit where Tom Hank comes out um, of a building. I think it's when Denzel refuses to take his case, mm-hmm. and he sort of realized how hard this is going to be. Yeah, and he's like lost. Exactly, and the camera's on him for a good like thirty seconds. There's no dialogue, and the people just walking past him, and it's such faith in the actor to tell yeah. you exactly how they're feeling, and it always, always works. And there's so many good ones, and he can get away with it like this scenes where they're just talking straight to camera and it should completely throw you off but it doesn't because yeah. that, that's just a recurring thing in Demi movies but you see you see it in PTA movies you see it in Barry Jenkins movies it's just a wonderful tool if you right and it really used really well in Philadelphia yeah and Jonathan Demi also does it in a weird way where he uses it to make you feel uncomfortable as well definitely because that was like a lot of the scenes like where there's you, you you're like you are Denzel and you're looking at uh, Andrew Beckett like 
especially early on when he first comes to his office and mm-hmm. he's just sees the lesions and stuff and realizes that he's sick. And it's just like the uncomfortable close-ups where it's just like the camera moves in a weird way. And it's, it's particularly so that you are the actor at the time you yeah. are like, you become them and you're like in the world and it's fucking nuts. Cause sometimes like they're the close-ups are so beautifully done. Like you were mentioning, and sometimes they're just jarring and they're mm-hmm. like, and I, it's, I think, a lot of point to it when he's doing it. That the one in the courtroom where um, Andy's on the stand and he's struggling, mm-hmm. obviously. You yeah. know, it's like before he passes out yeah. and like his eyes going um, and he's trying to concentrate on the lawyer and the cam- camera slowly sort of tilting. Oh, yeah, just like tilting, yeah. You feel like you're falling slowly and you can't, <laughs> yeah. can't get a grip on anything. Yeah. Tell you, man, I love Jonathan Demi. Demi the man. <laughs> yeah, I need to watch something wild. <laughs> yeah. So the film premiered in December 1993 and it saw a wide release in January 1994. When it opened in its wide release, it opened at number one and it stayed there for a few weeks and eventually made a total of $206.7 million worldwide against a budget of $26 million. Oh, that's good. The film would go on to be nominated for five Oscars. And as we mentioned, Tom Hanks wins his first Best Actor Award. And he would go on to win the next year again <laughs> for, for Forrest Gump. Gump. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which I think it's one of the few times that you've had a two-peat for Best Actor. There's, if there's been that many, there's not many at all. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't think of any. But I know they're two wildly different movies <laughs> yeah. to win for. Definitely. Um, Bruce Springsteen would win for best original song for Streets of Philadelphia. Not Neil Young. He would, not Neil Young, <laughs> Damn which is a shame because mm. I think Neil Young is a better song. But yeah, it's okay. I love both. It's okay. Yeah. All right. But Streets of Philadelphia would also go on to win a Grammy Award and a Golden Globe. And that was one of two, I think, songs ever to have won all three of those major awards. And then Neil Young, he was nominated for an Oscar for Philadelphia. So. It's funny, you had two two big songs from this film were nominated. They're great, though. though. Yeah, I, they, yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. They both should have been nominated. And then Oscar nominations were also going to Ryan Noswanner for Best Screenplay and Carl Fullerton and Alan D'Andrio for Best Makeup. Um, right. Makeup is really good, really subtle. Mm. So... It's kind of funny because like Tom Hanks, he wins this Academy Award, right? And he <laughs> gets up and he uh, mentions, like I said earlier, about like Antonio Banderas. He makes this really funny joke. He actually says a really nice thing about Neil Young's performance because Neil Young performed Philadelphia at the mm-hmm. Academy Awards as well. Because they tend to do that. You know, there's always yeah, the there to perform. It's like uh, Elliot Smith performed at the Oscars once for, mm-hmm. I think he did, I think Between the Bars. Or, um, yeah, for Good Will Hunting, and it, it's just one of the best because it's such an artist you would otherwise never see in yeah. that environment. So yeah, like uh, Neil Young did this really amazing. If I remember correctly, Johnny Depp like introduced him, <laughs> and it's like a really cool performance. I've like seen it so many times because I love that song, and it's just really nice performance of it. Oh, their jaw was running around. <laughs> <laughs> no, no Jawas. <laughs> Imagine how like that'd be so inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Tom Hanks he does his acceptance speech, and screenwriter 
Paul Rudnick credited this film and particularly this acceptance speech as serving for the inspiration for his comedy In and Out from 1997. <laughs> Have you ever seen In and Out? No. Dude, it is fucking great. So in Tom Hanks's speech, he credited his high school teacher and then like someone else he knew and I think went to school with for being an inspiration b- behind his performance because they were two gay people that he loved and respected and like um you know basically called them like great americans or something like that and the a major plot point in the film in and out is that like <laughs> oh god i can't remember who it is but kevin klein is in the film it's a kevin klein film mm. and i can't remember who the actor is but he's he wins an academy award and he outs his teacher uh, <laughs> in the acceptance speech but kevin klein's about to get married to a woman and he's just like, I'm not gay. What was he talking about? And then the whole thing just like turns into this crazy whirlwind thing in his hometown where everybody's like, dude, you're gay. What, what's going on? And then it's just this whole thing of him, him just like figuring out, wait, actually I am gay. That sounds really funny. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. To like, just flip it, that. Yeah. Yeah. We played it a few years back. I, I can't remember if it was, in Unicorn Night Strand, or if it was just like something that Paul and I were talking about, how much we loved, and we put it in because it's like a great, it's a great movie. It's it's really funny. Um, it sounds like it could be bad, like by uh, no, the I can, way I can you describe it. that, but it's it's very like it's tastefully done. I think like well, the joke is clearly like the, the, like someone trying to come out straight, yeah. and how people react is just as ridiculous and the pressure <laughs> yeah. you put on someone. <laughs> coming out like yeah doesn't matter doesn't matter <laughs> all right so the film itself it was heralded by many and you know obviously won academy awards that uh received mostly good reviews except for some in the lgbtq audience because while the film had its merits me many gay publications had, had quite a few in- issues with the film so out magazine referred to philadelphia as maddingly closeted uh, there was a lack of dimensionality in the film's gay characters. Many gay viewers thought that Jonathan Demme mess, uh, sorry, missed an opportunity here to accurately portray someone's experience living with AIDS. Particularly, one of the biggest uh, critics was gay activist and the normal heart playwright, Larry Kramer, who actually mm-hmm. just passed away like a couple weeks ago, sadly. Oh, um I was looking into it. It doesn't seem like it was coronavirus, but he did. I think he did have HIV maybe. So he was a big, you know, activist for gay rights and, and uh, AIDS and HIV. He was like really strong in that community and did a lot, a lot of good things. And he just basically thought this film was dishonest and didn't do a good, good enough job. And also just often politically and legally and, and medically inaccurate and he said philadelphia doesn't have anything to do with the aids i know or the gay world i know it doesn't bear any truthful resemblance to the life world and universe i live in he also said that tom hanks didn't really act in the film but rather his makeup did the acting for him <laughs> oh that's like, a bit harsh uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh i mean that's a sh- that's a shame people they felt like that i mean the, the thoughts yeah. are definitely valid and it's yeah. frustrating with Hollywood because it will, it it like it moved that snail pace, right? It's yeah. just like 
like I I like obviously I think Philadelphia is great and it does a lot of good stuff, but obviously there's stuff that it doesn't do and for some that isn't good enough because we still live in that climate of sort of homophobia and prejudice and so that will always be a thing. Um, it'll always feel like it didn't do enough, but if it can open it up for more people to do it and then for them to go further, because now. You know, you get like something like Dallas Buyer Club, Club, which goes really deep into the yeah. age crisis and what it would like, or at least maybe even that's not completely realistic, but feels a lot more, you know, yeah, uh, dramatic and harrowing than Philadelphia did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and there's like films like um, BPM, 120 beats yeah. per minute, like that's film that touches on like the whole age thing in a sort of, I guess a little bit more modern perspective and like, I don't know. I think one of the big things with this film was like the big controversy was that it lacked like that intimacy between Tom Hanks and Antonio Banderas' characters. It doesn't go into their personal life at all, really. Yeah. There was a deleted scene that was pretty controversial by its deletion because Antonio Banderas and Tom Hanks are shown lying in bed together before they go to sleep. And in that interview with Rolling Stone, Demi said that the scene was meant to show that they're a lot like you and me. Like, but they cut it because the film was too long and uh, the film was edited finally to tell its strongest story in the best possible way. And that was the story of them fighting for vindication. The case. Yeah. Unfortunately. Demi said. So, however, like Ron Nicewaner, the writer, he was disappointed in the cut because he said, in retrospect, we would have gladly ignored or avoided all that controversy and kept that scene in if we knew that people were going to yell about it 25 years later. (laughs) Which I think is funny. I mean, he's a gay man. So, like, oh, God, if people are going to (laughs) fucking yell about it. (laughs) Which that's not like a stupid thing to say, really. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I do do think that because the thing is, this film is like, I think it's a great film. It does miss a lot of opportunities and sure. it does uh it, it is super cheesy at times and it's dated at times and mm-hmm. maybe it didn't go far enough with characters and scenes and it wasn't ballsy enough, but uh but you know, I feel like maybe it was a righteous first step and first start for Hollywood to really dip his toes, like I was saying earlier, dipping his toes into presenting gay characters this way in the mainstream and also particularly talking about AIDS and stuff and Maybe it wasn't really good for the LGBTQ plus community because in terms of accurate representation, both like with subject matter and then just also having roles in the film, like you're right. Yeah. Maybe there was some of those extras where people who are in, you know, homosexuals and stuff, but I mean, we don't know, you don't know anything about them. There's very little in terms of like, you know, his friends and stuff at the party, like you, you can dress people up and drag and stuff and just have a, you know, slightly, I don't know, just effeminate characters and stuff. And you just think, Oh, well that's, that's the job done. He's like clearly gay, but I mean, or he's going to a a gay porn theater, theater, like, but I mean, that's, I feel like that's not good enough. And like, they could have gone further. Mm -hmm. Like, and I, I understand they, I think they were afraid to go further and I know they needed someone like a Tom Hanks to help break the stigmas, you know, about AIDS and HIV and people. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think it's all of the things. That's why it's difficult to talk about. Yeah. Like, I think you're right. I think a righteous first step is a good way to describe it because 
the people involved, like the writer and director and filmmaker and the actor, they, it seemed like they had good intentions. And mm. I've only ever got good things out of the movie. And it dated at times, and yeah, a little corny at times. Um, but that's just to be expected in that sort of story, in the story they choose to tell. Um, and yeah, it doesn't do enough in certain things. Maybe it's not trying to, maybe they were scared to. Um, but it doesn't have to do everything that you want in one movie if you're like watching it now. Um, I still think it's uh, worth watching. Yeah. For the other reason. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I guess at the end of the day, maybe it was just like a good film. For, for straight people you know, like, i think it's made for straight people i think they yeah, go at the end of the day that's what it is yeah i mean and i think that's what a lot of the people who are like activists you know like larry kramer would look at it and just like you know this is a straight movie you know and i'm they, still not being not being represented yeah definitely and like tom hanks like you know i don't know he helps break those stigmas down like break down the doors and help people who are straight you know recognize that like you know, this is a big issue that we need to look at. And it's not like, you know, it's not like contagious by touching people's hands and exactly. that like, there's nothing wrong with gay people. And like, you know, it's, it's a shame that that was such a weird conversation to have back in, in the early nineties. But I mean, Tom Hanks over 25 years later is now helping people see the severity of coronavirus. So it's like, and his blood is Jesus being Christ. used to make a cure. So that's how, yeah fucking pure of heart that guy is <laughs> yeah i wonder how many listeners we have who are QAnon followers who are like just hating our even mention of a tom hanks film <laughs> i read a lot about like how aids was really topical and stuff when the filmmakers were making the story and stuff and like ron ron nicewater said it's something you don't hear about as much anymore but at the time it was everywhere but that got me thinking about like how you really don't hear much about you know AIDS and HIV these days, and I remember hearing about it a lot more as a kid mm-hmm. in the you know in the nineties and stuff. And, and I know medications have gotten better, and people are able to live longer and stuff. We've come but, a long way, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it still exists. It's still something that's really important. I mean, I think like it's the first of December every year is World AIDS Day, and I always appreciate like Ralph trying to do something like uh, around that time every year like he always tries to have a really good thing with the unicorn knight strand mm-hmm. and raise awareness for that so that's really cool um so yeah i mean like i said this isn't like us saying this is like a good pride episode because like i said i just don't know how uh, it, it's a good this is a good movie and i feel like it's a good start like we were saying mm-hmm. to help people at that time and it's pretty it maybe pretty dated but it's still there's still some relevancy here and i think it's something that if people are unsure of how they you know are going to navigate the uncertain world that we live in at times then like this is a good place to help people mm-hmm. and i think like you know we're just like this film dipping our toes into pride month and we're gonna like i said in a couple of weeks we're gonna have ralph come on and we're gonna do something really nice for unicorn nights a uh, really nice little episode pride themed episode so stay tuned for that <laughs> okay i <laughs> was an ending of that okay <laughs> i thought you were gonna say something no i'm gonna go <laughs> no well, i'm gonna say um the movie may be dated but i wish it was more dated yeah i wish it wasn't 
still relevant at all. Yeah. I wish I yeah. wouldn't. I wish I didn't watch it and be like, I can't believe we're still fucking talking about them. Just, <laughs> yeah. It's just like, True. my God, like it's just, I mean, but that's with everything, right? That's with the riots and protests that it's been happening, uh, you know, for the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. And if occasionally a movie can come along and force you to talk about it, that night too. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be something. Someone's going to be hating on someone for something. and You know, you can see. You know, and um, and your Brenner in uh, Cool Running said, you know, we're different. People always get what's different. <laughs> 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 we should have done that movie. <laughs> <laughs> A lot more fun. Yeah, no, but this Next is a week. good movie. We're wrapping up uh, Philadelphia here. Philadelphia um, is a great movie still. Yeah. With all its flaws, it still has lots of merit. Yeah. And it's a Definitely. wonderful movie. I think at by the end Denny. of the day, they were trying. They were trying to do something. They were fucking trying. Yeah. yeah. And I watch it and I'm still affected by it. And I, I would highly recommend anyone watching it who hadn't. Um, just for at least for that fucking opera theme. Yeah. And just like, you know, try I'm not to cry. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to try to have something a little bit more upbeat next week. I hope uh, so. I, I don't know if it I, will be. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we'll see. I don't normally like I haven't, well, I used to do have a habit early on in the podcast days of telling people what's coming up next week, but we'll kind of stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Cause you never know what's going to happen week to week or whatever, but uh, we do have a plan for next week. What we're going to be talking about is Spike Lee's new film, the five bloods, a new which, movie. <laughs> A new movie, which is coming out on uh, June twelfth, Netflix this Friday. Mm. So the day after this episode goes out, there's a new film mm. from Spike Lee on Netflix. Watch it with if us. You have Netflix? <laughs> go, go watch it. Yeah, and then we're gonna talk about it mm-hmm. on the podcast next week. And then, like I said, in a couple of weeks, we'll have Ralph on for a really nice Pride-filled episode. So, yeah. We've got some stuff coming up. We are glad you're aboard with us. We're going to wrap up now just because uh, it's gone a little bit longer than I thought it would. And uh, it wasn't even a mm. really top-heavy episode. So. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, Phil, what do, you, what do you got going on this week? What are you up to? Where can people find you? Uh, you know, find me at the usual place. Um, I'm not really <laughs> uh, active so much online at the moment beyond, you know, just sort of looking and reading and sharing things. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, I'm at Farawaysnerd on Twitter and Doug and I met on Instagram. Still, <laughs> still running with that joke. Yeah. Um, nothing. No, no big, no big plans at the moment. Um, I, I wish I was doing. I feel like I would, like I said at the beginning, I was more productive. Um, like I had things. I made a list. I had things I was going to do and finish, and then I did those things, and now I'm done. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm not. I'm fucking. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. I, like, I'll, next time I'll try and think of something interesting to say. Um, that seems like a good running joke, though. That you're just like, yeah, I'm, I'm um, yeah, but that's really <laughs> depressing. <laughs> I'm gonna come to the end of lockdown and be like, what did I do for next month? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about you? Well, you can find me at Tall for All, T A L L, the number four, A L L, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. 
Uh, just like I said at the top of the episode, released my new EP, Manifest Destiny. So that's out there if you want to look it up. Um, but I'm going to just try to keep working on some music. It was good to finally get some stuff out. I'm trying to find some good balance between just not worrying about work and stuff. So I'm going to be hopefully working on my next album. I know I just released something, but that's not the album I've been talking about because that's only two songs. <laughs> that's something that's a little bit yeah, longer. Yeah, short album. But, uh, I mean, the songs are long. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. They are really long. It's like 15 minutes of, of two songs. So, yeah. But yeah, anyway, uh, if you want to keep in touch with the podcast, it's at the PCC Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Or you can email us at podcast at princecharlescinema.com. You can let us know anything you want to know about, uh, want us to know about your opinions of Philadelphia, if you think it's a good film for Pride, or if you think it's shite, or we shouldn't have talked about it, or if you hate Denzel Washington. Sorry, my cat's just trying to make an escape right now. One second. Hey, go for it. All right, no, she's she got done. She just like keeps oh jumping my up into the window. That's amazing. Let's see if she does it. Ah, oh, Stevie. I don't know if she's going to try it now. But anyway. Yeah, you better watch out for that cat. <laughs> Let us know uh, your feelings on Philadelphia. And, uh, Philadelphia. Yeah. Get it? Philadelphia. <laughs> I was actually Before. thinking of a way how we can work that in. Just but say it. Kind of forgot. Just own it, man. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of sounds like my yeah. name. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, like as always, you can hit us up on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast. $5 or more a month gets you bonus episodes. Myself and Ariane are going to be working our way through the Fast and the Furious series. And uh, <laughs> we'll figure out what else we're doing this month. But like we said a couple of weeks ago, we're going to be trying to give you two episodes every month. And we still have some time, so I'm not stressed out just yet. But we'll see how I feel. He's lying. I could tell when he's lying. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, stay tuned next week. Like I said, the Five Bloods. It's on Netflix. Um, check it out, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. Yeah, so stop. You know, quit yelling. We're gonna talk about it. <laughs> People have been like, you know, been months. Just like, when are you gonna do the the Five Bloods? And we're like, it's not out yet. God, <laughs> it's not just, out yeah, yet, bro. <laughs> it's happening. It's happening next week. It's happening. Yeah. All right. Stay safe, kid. Thank you for listening. Ciao.